All right. Um, just a reminder of our pillar definition of stewardship, our pillar definition of stewardship um, for sake of review. Um, we gave you the definition that stewardship is the acknowledgement that the spiritual, physical, financial, and relational resources entrusted to us belong to God and must be faithfully accounted for. Um, I think the term resources entrusted and faithfully accounted are the key statements there. Then we've talked to you last week, we gave you definitions of what a steward is and what stewardship is from scripture, steward, oiki, namos, oikos is the word house, namos is to distribute, a home distributor, a house distributor, a house manager, an overseer, somebody that's a fiscal agent that has resources that must be measured out and managed to ensure that all the needs of the household are met. Then from that, we get the word oikonomia, where, where we get the English word economy. And it literally means the person who is responsible for that, um, that administration. Go to the next one. Oikos is the word for home or household, family dwelling. Namos is to parcel out, especially grazing, um, a house distribut distributor. Next page talks about a chamberlain, um, an, an official charged with the management of a sovereign's noble quarters, a governor, the person charged with the direction or control of an institution uh, or society, a ruler or chief magistrate appointed to govern a province, a town, a fort, or the like, a person who manages another another's properties or financial affairs or administers anything as the agent of another or others. And then we said stewardship involves the responsibility of managing all that God has given you to be used to fulfill the purposes of Christ and to allow you to fulfill your personal destiny in the kingdom of God. Last week, we gave you uh, four key principles of stewardship at the end. We said that God has appointed all humanity, but especially Christians, to be his stewards on earth. We said God said he gave mankind dominion or stewardship responsibility of the earth. Stewardship is therefore not an option, as Paul points out in his own call, and we'll talk some about that today. Number three, being a steward is a necessary part of participating in fulfilling kingdom purposes. Uh, and the, number four, the product of stewardship has the potential to bring blessing to others who are touched by it. Okay, now let's talk about uh, five principles that occur in the stewardship model. We're just going to take time to do this and um, we'll list them and then we'll go back and deal with, the, with them individually. The first one is ownership. The next one is trust. And we're going to explain that word trust. Um, as a living will. And then third is faithfulness on the next page. The fourth is visitation. And then the fifth is promotion and demotion. So let's start there. I'll see if I can get through this and then get into the next piece today. Go back to the first one. So the ownership. Ownership has to do with the fact that we believe that as sons of God, we have a duality of things that we inherit and own, but ultimately the ultimate ownership belongs to God and that we are God's stewards of things on the earth, that he has given us the ability to do certain things, but ultimately he retains ultimate ownership. Let's look at that in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. 
And that says, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So we believe fundamentally, that, as we said, that all the resources that we got belong to God. All right. That so ownership is a key part of the stewardship model. The second thing is what we call trust. Now, when I deal with this thing of trust, I will deal with the nature. Um, I don't just mean somebody trusts you. I mean, in a legal sense, you are a trustee. And there is a relationship between an owner, a trustee, the assets that that person entrusts you with, and then the beneficiaries of that trust. Okay, and I'll, I'll spend some more time dealing with that next week. Suffice it to say that there are things you must care for and for which you may have bounded use of, but you cannot consume as you see fit. Usually where stewardship gets into an issue is where people cross that boundary or they violate a sacred trust. And sometimes you'll hear that term. You'll hear it um, sometimes if ministers have done something and they had a major fall in ministry, uh, whether it's financially or um, in terms of an inappropriate relationship, or you'll see it um, in terms of a business leader, you'll see it in terms of a governmental leader, somebody, you are entrusted with something and then you took it and treated it like it was your own when you should have just been a good steward over it. Let's give an example of this issue of trust from scripture. Look at Genesis chapter two. We're going to read verses eight and nine and then verses 15 through 17. And it says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. All right. So there was um, the Lord planted a garden. So he had the ownership of it. And out of, the, uh, out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both of them were in the middle. They were right next to each other. Now look, skip down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. That's stewardship. He gave him a stewardship. He entrusted him with a stewardship responsibility. That's the trust. And then while he was still alive, he told him what he wanted that property to be used for. Let's look at it. And um, verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. All right. And so he had a living will with some boundaries in it. This is the thing that I'm capable of taking care of. I can eat every piece of it, but this one piece, I cannot. Whenever you, whenever you're placed in a stewardship responsibility, you always should be asking yourself, what are the boundaries? What things are in bounds and out of bounds? Every stewardship has that, all right? That's number two. The third one we said on our list of the five key principles, the third one there is faithfulness. And I've given you a definition 
of faithfulness there. Faithfulness is trustworthy, steadfast in devotion to principles, personal behavior, and promises. All right, now let's look at it. This one in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 and 2. And it says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Verse 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Whatever the thing that you have to parcel out, whatever the thing is that you're requ required to, you have to be faithful. You should be trustworthy. In other words, um, let's say you're a financial steward. If you're a financial steward, you know, I'm a financial steward at job. There, there is money that is money that I can spend on me, money that I can spend on people, money that I can spend on the job or um, the thing that I'm responsible for. And each one has a certain category. And, and as long as I don't mix funds, everything's everything, right? You have to be faithful. You have to be trustworthy, all right? Where it gets into trouble is when somebody violates a trust or something that was meant for something else that they cross some boundary. Now, sometimes people can cross the boundary for a long period of time and it looks like nobody's the wiser. But one principle that I've always found in terms of scriptural stewardship is sooner or later, you break the rules, somebody finds out. It don't happen automatically. It don't happen right away. If it happened right away, less people would be caught with all of these major things going on. Usually there is some time between when people violate their stewardship then and when the results happen. But there is a time frame when, when God comes to settle the stewardship debts. And he settles it in terms of whether or not you're faithful or unfaithful. And that time frame is called visitation. That's number four, visitation. All right. And so people think that when they're in a stewardship issue, that uh, they seem to be getting away with stewardship vi violations. But the reality is, is that that moment of visitation always comes. And when it comes, God deals with what looks like had, what looks like it has been overlooked. Now let's look at this in Luke 19, and we're going to read verses 41 through 44. Now, as he, and this is speaking of Jesus, drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, what day? What special day? the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your, that's the V word, visitation. All right? So he was saying here, 
in this moment, if you responded right, then there would be a visitation to go up. But now, because you don't, you don't know how to respond right to me as Messiah, this visitation is not going to be to your benefit. All right? Visitation is a major issue. That is why you have to stay faithful even when no one is looking and when it seems no benefit is coming your way. Some people only want to do what's right when the spotlight is on. If you can't do what's right when the spotlight is off you, you will miss your, your, your moment of visitation. Now let's look at this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And it says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season, in due season, the season of your visitation, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I like the way it says it in the King James, let us not be weary in well-doing, we'll reap in due season if we faint not, okay? I love that. Um, due season is a thing. Due season says that if I do everything right in the season's in the continuing seasons where I'm just being faithful um, to, to that, then there's coming a day where God's going to come by and visit me and deal with my um, deal with me concerning my stewardship. Amen. Now, the fifth fifth principle that we have here is the principle of promotion and demotion. And this principle is tied to your visitation. There is a moment when the Lord deals with you concerning what he has to, um, when your due season arrives and when your due season arrives, the Lord will come and visit you and then, and then things will change for you. Let's look at it in the life of uh, Joseph, the dreamer, Psalm 105. We're going to read verses 17 through 22. And it says, he, talking about God, sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. This is that visitation part. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. All right. So these are the five principles that you see in the stewardship model, that there is a principle of ownership, that God is the owner. And when we're talking about stewardship, we're saying of all of the resources that we have in our life, that God is the owner and that he has entrusted us he has entrusted us with these things um, and that we are expecting, he is expecting us to whatever thing, every resources he's placed in our lives, he's expecting us to be faithful. And that at some moment, if I stay faithful during the lean times and the in-between times, then there is a season where he will visit me and then I will be promoted. But what we also see in this principle is, is that, in my trust, in the trust and stewardship that I'm entrusted in, if I'm unfaithful, that I can also have a principle of demotion. All right. Now, um, there are two parables here. When I understand that five-part framework, 
there are um, two, two parables of Jesus talking about these. And these two parables, they are related to stewardship and they seem almost the same, but they're significantly different. Uh, and so you have to look at both of them. So I'm going to read both of these. One is called the parable of the talents. That's probably the one that most people have heard about. Most of us have heard about the parable of the talents, right? The second one is called the parable of the pounds. Pounds is the way it says it in the King James Version. In the New King James, which we're reading, it's called uh, Minas, M-I-N-A-S. Um, those two words, pounds, the, the, the Greek word is actually Minas, but uh, pounds is what I've I learned it in King James. And so when I see those two, um, then I want to understand these parables. And you're going to see some similarities, but you're going to also see significant difference. And that's what we want to understand. And that's that's really what I wanted to get to today. But remember, remember our five part framework, right? Ownership, trust, faithfulness visitation, and then promotion, demotion, all right? Now, let's look at this. Matthew 25, we're going to read verses 14 through 30. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So we see here an ownership and a trust, don't we? All right? And to one, he gave five talents. And some people think this is like talents, like playing an instrument. No, this is, this is financial. Talent is a denomination of money, okay? Five talents to another two and to another one. Now look at this next phrase, to each according to his own ability. So in this parable, the, the talents are different, and each one is given as much as that person can handle. And then it says, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. So he went and did business, and he made the money work for him. Got it? And so he doubled his money. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So this is not talking about some, you know, some skill. This is talking about money. All right. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So. He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five, ta five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now look at the response to this. Okay, you doubled what you have. The Lord is saying, you did good, enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, he did say, you've been faithful over a few things, I'm going to make you ruler, but he doesn't specify or quantify the rulership here, does he? 
Doesn't tell you the size of it. What he says is, you get to enter the joy of the Lord. All right? Now, in your presence is fullness of joy. If you didn't even make me ruler, that would be good enough by itself, wouldn't it? Okay. Now, look at verse 22. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him the same thing that the five-talent person God said to him, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So each one worked with their ability and got essentially the same, same reward, okay? Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Lord, I gave you back what you gave me. I didn't lose it. Look at verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back mine own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who had how many talents? 10 talents. Look at verse 29. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant, the unfaithful steward, into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this tells me that that phrase there is always one of those unnerving phrases for me. Whenever he says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, that is always one of those phrases because that has that tells me that there is eternal consequences to poor stewardship. Right. That's very clear from that. Notice. um, There is a there is a in Proverbs, I'll find the scriptures and have them for you next week. There is a correlation between fearfulness and laziness. In Proverbs, there's one proverb that says a fearful person will be lazy. And then there's another proverb that says that a lazy person will be fearful. Whichever way that starts, they, they, they feed on each other. If I'm f- A fearful person, a lazy person said, there's a lion in the streets. There's a lion in the streets. Okay. That's what a fearful person, right, will, will, uh, a lazy person that says, we'll we'll talk about the lion, right? And then it has another parable that goes with it. What we want to understand is your Lord doesn't give you a pass from the stewardship because you're scared. All right. 
So I have to be willing and able to push past because I'm not going to be able to say, Lord, I couldn't do my jab because I got scared. All right. Now let's look at Luke 19. And this is the parable of the minas or the pounds is the way it was saying in the King James Version. Now, uh, wrapped around this parable, there's kind of some front end and some, some back end information that talks about the kingdom, and I want to hit on that one too. All right, now let's look at it, Luke 19, starting at verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. In other words, they were looking for the millennial reign right now. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he was going away and he's coming back. So he called 10 of his servants, not three like the first parable, 10, 10 of his servants, not three, right? Delivered to them 10 minas and said to them specifically, do business till I come. All right. So we see the we see the ownership. We see the trust. We see specifically the direction to be faithful and to exercise the gift, to exercise the stewardship and do business with it until he returns. But notice this one is different than the first, because in this account, each one got the same amount. Each one, each person got one mina apiece. Ten servants, ten minas. Got it? That's, that's important, and we'll make sure you understand why that's important. Now let's look at verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Now, that one is a very significant thing because his citizens were trying to, watch this, vote him out of office. Okay? His citizens, he went to get a kingdom, and they, they thought it, it wasn't a kingdom. They thought it was a democracy. Okay, let's see what, we're going to see that one come back at the end. Now, look at verse 15. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much each, how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. I gave you a tenfold return on your investment. 10x, all right? That's not just 2x, that was 10x, got it? Now look at verse 17, and he said, well done, good servant, because you, have, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities, okay? This is different than the first one, right? Everybody got the same, but then people had different performance over a common 
over a common seed, they had they had differentiated harvest and then they got differentiated rewards, didn't they? All right. Now look at verse 17. Oh, that was verse 17, verse 18. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to, to him, you also be over five cities. So everybody didn't get the same reward. They had the same seed. They didn't have the same harvest. Therefore, they didn't get the same reward. Verse 20, then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you. Oh, there's that fear again. Because you are an austere man, you collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? See, he expects everybody to gain. Clearly, there is no, there is no compromise for, um, for advancing with the stewardship you have. All right, now look at verse 24. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who had 10 minas. But they said to him, now I can hear them whining. Master, he already got 10. Master, he has 10 minas. Why not give it to the five? Why not give it to the one with less? Now look at verse 26. For I say to you, same thing he said before, that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now look at verse 27, because we want to talk about that democracy thing. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. By the way, that's in red, just in case y'all wanted to know that's, those were Jesus' words. Okay, now 12... 12 stewardship keys from the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas. 12 stewardship keys. Number one, both parables are related to money, but clearly have implications to true riches. Remember, we talked about if you haven't been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who give to your trust true riches. So it's money he's talking about here, but this also is talking about things beyond money. Now, number two, according to Thayer's Greek definition, one talent equals 100 minas. So there was a much smaller amount of money in the minas than it was in the talents, just so we understand the difference between the two. Number three, the key thing to note is that in the parable of the talents, the servants were given different amounts based on different abilities. Remember, he gave to each one severally according to his own ability. Okay. But number four, in the parable of the minas, all 10 servants were given the same amount, one mina. Now look at um, number five. In both instances, the faithful are rewarded. Whatever I got, Whatever God's put in my hand, if I'm faithful with it, I get rewards. Number six, the interesting 
Comparison is that when stewardship is different, as in the case of the talents, the reward is the same into the joy of your Lord. Number seven, on the other hand, when the stewardship is exactly the same, the reward is different, over authority over 10 or five cities. Now, let me just stop here for a second, because this is a really important point. Sometimes, have you ever been around people and he's like, man, this person got all of these gifts and I don't have them. And then I wish I had all of the gifts they had, not these few that I got. And God is saying, if he's given you different gifts, he's given to you based on your different abilities, you be faithful with what you got, just like that person is faithful with what they got. And both of you get the same reward because the gifts you got is the ones he gave you. Okay, and so instead of looking at somebody else's hand, play the hand you got and play that hand to win. Multiply what he gave you. On the other hand, there are some things that God gives us exactly the same. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. But have you 10 extra faith? Have you one extra faith? Have you five extra faith? All right. Because some people start with their measure and then they grow to little to much faith to great faith. Some people turn they turn their the seed of their connection with him. He's divine. You're the branches. Remember, that's what we've been talking about. And some people have turned their branch into no fruit, some fruit and much fruit. All right. So he's saying. When he, when he gives us all the same, then in those areas, you can differentiate yourself by take, taking a common, common gift or a common seed and turning it into an uncommon harvest. Then you get uncommon rewards. Do you see why both of these parables is important to look at together? Okay. Um, so what, what are common things that God has given you that you can use in an uncommon way. Okay, he's given to everyone a measure of faith. You know, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? All of us have one. He has given us his blood, his name, and his word. All right? Can I do something uncommon with a common gift? That's the way, if you want an eternally uncommon reward, take what's common and just use it in an uncommon way. Now, you still, if you are a five-talent person, whatever that resource is, you know, I don't look at the person who seems to have more than me. I look at what I have, and I work to multiply what he gave me. Does that make sense? I work to multiply what he gave me. Now, let's look at number eight. When an unfaithful person... When an unfaithful steward is punished, their stewardship is given to the one with the most ability and output. Jesus doesn't give participation trophies. <laughs> Woo! Okay, sometimes, um, like, it, you have to watch it because... If you sit on your gift 
and another person is continuously exercising and good stewards over what God has given them, they will continue to, to outstrip you. Because when God starts to start, there is a thing that Jesus shows here where, where a person who is unfaithful in a season of visitation can lose their stewardship. And it seems like this other person just keeps getting more, keeps getting more, keeps getting more. And see, and that's God's business. But he doesn't give participation trophies. It was very clear that the person who was just there turned it in. Lord, I, I, you gave it to me. I gave it back to you. You should be happy. He was like, I know no participation trophies. Okay, look at number nine. I call this, it's not the same as Tyler Perry's, but I call this the haves and have nots. Because Jesus says, for those who do not have, even the have nots have in our story. To him that has, more shall be given. To him that has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. So in our story, even the have-nots have, and they will lose what they have because they have not. It's very clear. He said it, didn't he? And both parables said the same thing. The person who did nothing because of fear, who would not exercise his stewardship, would not be faithful, would not take the risk, would not, um, would not do business, would not work to excel because of fear, the person who turned inward rather than outward, what that person has, the person who, who has not still has, but they're going to lose what they have because they have not. Amen? All right. Verse, uh, I say verse 10, number 10. These are not verses. These are my numbers. Hallelujah. In both parables, fear was never a good excuse for unfaithfulness. Let me say that one more time. Fear was never a good excuse for unfaithfulness. Okay, one more time for the Holy Ghost. Fear was never a good excuse for unfaithfulness. God calls a fearful person lazy, right? At worst, even if you can't multiply your stewardship, you must at least manage it, give it back with interest. How can I? Uh, the interesting thing that we have to understand, now how many of you if you understand anything about economics, you understand that your money is always decreasing in value. Right? What it takes you to buy this over time is going to take more to buy the same thing. All right? And so you need a certain amount of interest just to stay even. And that's what he was saying. There should be some um there should be some return on investment. Now, think about it in terms of money cuz he's talking about money but he's also talking about true riches. And how do you multiply? The Bible says it this way, you have a treasure in an earthen vessel. So can you multiply your life in terms of somebody else's life by getting somebody saved? That's, that's a one-to-one. -one. If you get one person, two person, three persons, five, four persons, five people to convert to Jesus Christ, you have multiplied the riches that's in your life to another person. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is, don't just think about this in terms of money, but don't think about it just in terms of, okay, he got a skill because he played the piano and this person got a skill because they do this and that. No, no, think about things that are of true enduring value that you can multiply, all right? Um, 
Number 11 and 12, and then we're done for today. The parable of the Minas also explains the relationship between our king and kingdom citizens. Our kingdom is a theocracy, not a democracy, right? His citizens said, we don't want you to reign over us. People don't do that today, Pastor David. Yeah, 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 yeah. He says things in his word because the king is Jesus. Jesus is also the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So anytime I say things like, I know the word says this about marriage, but I don't think it's like that. Then what I'm saying is I don't want the king to reign over me. <laughs> okay. I'm just telling you from scripture that that doesn't end well. All right. Number 12 says we must ensure that our king's word is law or we face eternal judgment. I want his, he reigns over me by letting his word reign in my, in my life and in my situation. Amen? 